Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we play Twister and fart right in our crush's face. So grab your liquid eyeliner and your gas X and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're talking about guilt, particularly because this was requested. We're talking about the way that as children in abusive households, guilt was weaponized against us. It happens when we come from super religious families, when there are narcissists in the family, when there are other forms of mental illness, like borderline personality disorder, for example, or when there is abuse like parentification. In all of these kinds of scenarios and a bunch of others, of course, we can lose a healthy relationship to guilt. This can also totally happen if we've been in unhealthy relationships as adults, right? Like if you marry a narcissist, for example. Here's what Psychology Today says about guilt. Guilt has been described as a self-conscious emotion involving reflection on oneself. People may feel guilty for a variety of reasons, including acts that they have committed or think that they've committed, a failure to do something they should have done, or thoughts that they think are morally wrong. When one causes harm to another, guilt is a natural emotional response. Guilt is self-focused, but also highly socially relevant. It's thought to serve important interpersonal functions by, for example, encouraging the repair of valuable relationships and discouraging acts that could damage those relationships. But in excess, guilt may needlessly burden those who experience. And I think that's the trick right there, right? Like maintaining a healthy relationship to guilt after years of being made to feel guilty in situations where you really didn't have anything to feel guilty about, which has definitely been the story for lots of us who grew up in dysfunctional households. So to help us get clarity around this really slippery issue, I'm so happy to welcome psychotherapist Allison Lee to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for being here. Hi, Remy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, super excited to have you on. To get us started, let's talk a little bit about your astrology. You're a Pisces. Pisces is actually the sign of spiritual and emotional healing. I don't know if you knew that. So it absolutely fits with your line of work. Pisces is also the sign of compassion, empathy, spirituality, and art. But the key things Pisces struggles with are boundaries, clarity, and over-imagination, sort of like um, Pisces can kind of live in this like fantasy world or something. But it's interesting thinking about boundaries with that because that that can even look like um, not having boundaries around work, right? Like working too much, especially if your work involves empathizing with others, right? Does any of that resonate for you? Yeah, uh, definitely. I feel a lot. That's why sometimes I think with if I'm working a lot or if I'm talking to a friend, I don't, it kind of it needs a little bit of space right afterwards. Um, and I don't really like watching horror stuff. It just takes too much <laughs> emotionally and I feel too much for the people, even though I know it's a TV show, a movie. <laughs> so it definitely resonates. Um, and I actually did look up my rising and moon sign. Oh, so uh, per my mom, right? So if that it's accurate when I was born, <laughs> I am a Gemini rising and Capricorn moon. I don't know what that means. <laughs> that is so, Well, first of all, I'm also a Gemini rising. Uh, so that's fun. 
And I swear I have seen so many therapists come in with Capricorn moons, which I say it every time, but it makes so much sense to me because the moon is your emotional bodies, your emotional placement, right? Capricorn likes organization, structure. It wants order. So it's about sort of taking this chaotic space, right? The emotional space and making sense out of it, creating order out of it, which is what I think therapists often do. Or anyway, that's what my therapist tries to do with me. And then a Gemini rising, these people are, well, us, we are social creatures. We really love talking. We like communicating. We like, um, we like being around other people, which I also think Gemini rising makes so much sense for therapists because you're doing so much communicating, right? You're, there's so much like talking involved in therapy. So, um, all of those, I think Pisces for a therapist makes so much sense. And it does also, Pisces can get very drained from feeling too much, right? So that like, yeah, definitely don't watch horror films. <laughs> it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, I have to mentally prepare for that. I'm like, oh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cool. Well, the other thing is, and we chatted about this just a second ago briefly, but Saturn Saturn goes through every sign for about like two plus years, two and a half ish years. It just, just literally overnight at like five, my time this morning, it moved into uh, Pisces out of Aquarius and it's going to be there for the next two and a half years. So buckle up, baby. This is going to be a fun ride for you. But I think it's really good because it'll be, um, let's see, Pisces is your ninth wait no 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 is your 10th house oh my god yes girl because it's my 10th house too i don't know why that took me so long yeah girl so saturn is moving into your house of career that's great because this is actually the house that saturn loves the most it wants to work hard achieve it's goal oriented. So, so the 10th house is perfect. It's a, a lot of places. Saturn is like very unhappy. A lot of houses it's like, boo, <laughs> but for you, it's going to be in your 10th house. So yay. Yeah. Looking forward to that. We'll see what I accomplish. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to dive into my experience with guilt while I do that. Feel free to jump in with thoughts, feelings, spells that you'd like to cast, you know, any full moon spells. We just had a full moon. Oh, it's today. It was this morning. Yeah. I was thinking it was yesterday. It was this morning. Yeah. Any full moon spells or you can just chill, eat peanut butter, you know, do a YouTube workout. When I'm done, I'll turn questions over to you. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, cool. Here we go. I'll start with an aspect of this that I think is less overt, but it's played a huge role in my life. My mom had a terrible childhood, just rife with abuse. And she shared the details of that abuse when we were really young. I was five when I remember hearing about it for the first time. And that includes sexual abuse as well. Sharing those details with children is a form of abuse called parentification. By the way, if that sounds familiar and you haven't already, I have two episodes dedicated to parentification. So check those out. So early on in my life, because of this and other things as well, I learned that my mom was victim number one. In our house, my mom was always the victim and everyone around her was a perpetrator of one form or another eventually, right? This type of behavior is really common in people with borderline personality disorder, with covert narcissism, and in other mental health disorders as well. 
And because my sister and I learned about this um, sort of like really extreme abuse that she experienced so early in her life, it primed me to feel a lot of sympathy for her. In fact, it felt like providing sympathy and approval to my mom was my job as a good daughter. And that was in part because my mom really responded to that. I would get love when I gave unconditional sympathy and approval. But of course, eventually, as I got older, right, my mom would do shit that upset me. And when I would voice that, she would say, you're attacking me and I don't deserve this. So right away in my life, I had guilt around my anger and around having boundaries. And it really impacted me because I'd already been primed to think, yeah, my mom is victim number one. So I'm hurting her if I say like, hey, that hurt my feelings, right? So it was also this sense that like I wasn't a good daughter, right? If I said, hey, I didn't like what you said to me over there, whatever, the underlying message was that, you know, you're attacking me. You're not a good daughter. I don't deserve what you're doing. I'm the victim, not you. Right. So as I got older, the way that looked was that if I felt myself starting to prioritize myself or my feelings over someone else, I would feel really guilty. Both my parents taught me from a young age that my job was to focus on their feelings. If I spoke up about my feelings, I was a disappointment or I was in trouble. I remember on my ninth birthday party, something happened that made me really upset. I can't remember what it was. My friends and my sister and I were trying to play a game and something my sister did or a friend did really upset me. And I ran away and hid in a part of the park that had a bunch of trees, which by the way, like not safe, right? And, you know, no one came after me. No one came to talk to me, including my mom. I sat there crying for a long time and eventually just walked back because again, it was just like, okay, my feelings are not important. I guess I just like, yeah, I'm not, no one, no one cares about this. And later when we came home, my mom got really mad at me for doing that because she said she had worked really hard on my birthday party and me getting upset and running off was not showing her any appreciation for all of the work that she'd done. So these kinds of moments really taught me early on to feel guilty for having challenging emotions. If I had a feeling that was difficult for my mom, there would be some kind of accusation that was set up to make me feel guilty, like I was attacking her or not showing her the appreciation she deserved. And I actually, you know, I don't think that was intentional on her part, meaning I don't think she sat down and said to herself, when Remy has these feelings, I'm going to respond this way. And I hope it makes her feel really fucking guilty, right? I think it's something she did and, and does still today without thinking about it, right? I think it's just part of her um, mental health struggle. My sense is that it's a subconscious defense mechanism that comes up in her. Another way that guilt would come up with my mom was she would say things like, if it hadn't been for you girls, I could have been really successful. Or she would tell us that the people in her field who had the best cars or got the most, she was, um, she was in the film industry, the people in her field who had the best cars or got the most prestigious jobs, none of them had kids. That's what she would tell us. But she drove a Toyota and she wasn't able to advance in her career because she was a single mom. Obviously, you know, that made me feel really guilty, but also there was no solution, right? I could mask my feelings. I could pretend I was really happy when I was actually depressed or angry because I 
you know, I found out that those were things that that made my mom that sort of fixed the relationship, right. That made the relationship go smoother, but I couldn't not exist. (laughs) So there was a guilt for just existing because my mom would communicate to us in these different ways that us being there was holding her back professionally and financially. She also would talk a lot about how being a single mom was so hard for her that she didn't have any money because she was a single mom, that she was stressed out all the time because she was a single mom. And these were all things I couldn't do anything about, but I was directly causing, right? So it created this guilt around being a burden to people. And I came into adulthood erring on the side of, I'm probably a burden, Like I would walk into a situation with that already in mind. I certainly didn't walk into situations being like, you are so lucky to have me or, or, you know, even something a little more neutral, like, you know, I really bring a lot to the table. No, it was like, oof, I'm sorry. I don't know what for yet, but I'm sure I'll mess something up. Right. That kind of thing definitely bleeds over into shame, which is a different conversation, but that's how the two kind of work together for me. I felt this guilt for existing. And so I felt like I was innately a burden to others just by being there. Another way this has shown up in my life is that there have been times when I've felt guilty getting paid, right? So I just wanted to add, it's such a weird thing to say, but my mom would talk so much about how we were so expensive and she was so stressed out trying to make ends meet financially that when I got older and entered the professional realm, I would find myself trying to save my employer money on me because without realizing it, I was subconsciously worried that if I charged more, I would stress my employer out and be a burden to them. I would also find myself working in situations again and again where I wasn't getting paid well because low paying gigs felt comfortable for me because they didn't incite that feeling of guilt that came up for me when I was charging more for my work. It's something I've had to get really conscious about so that I can reframe my thoughts and actively show up differently. Okay, let me tell this story because it was one of the first ones I thought of when I was thinking about this topic. So... From the time I was eight on, my mom lived in LA and my dad lived in Austin. When I was 12, I had gone to Austin for the summer to stay with my dad and his girlfriend. We'll call his girlfriend, Nancy. This this trip ended up being a total shit show. It was supposed to be the summer of my life. My dad, who I don't know why I... You know, when you're 12, you just want things to be true that aren't true. But my dad had promised to take me on all these trips that of course ended up never happening because he went on a bender and instead left my brother and me alone for days with Nancy while he was out doing a bunch of drugs. And when Nancy told my mom, my mom was like, Remy, you're coming home right now. So my trip was supposed to be like two and a half months of the best summer ever. Instead, it ended up being just a few weeks of like a really terrible time. So now my departure date is quickly approaching. It's a few days away. And Nancy asked me, what I wanted to do for my last night in town. And I said, I wanted to go out to the lake where her family lived. They had a lake house and they all lived out there. And I wanted to bring my best friend, we'll call her Lisa, and just spend the evening, all of us together, me, Lisa, Nancy, and Nancy's family, who I was really close with. Well, Nancy, who, yes, was a grown-ass adult, didn't like my friend Lisa, (laughs) who was 13. Not because she was a bad influence or anything, but because because Nancy thought that she wasn't nice enough to Nancy. (laughs) 
She was like, this 13 year old is not nice enough to me. So here I am. I'm 12. My whole summer just got completely fucked. My dad came home after four or five days of being gone without calling or anything. And when he came home, he was so high. He was like talking a mile a minute, being really scary. The whole thing was just terrible. And this is my last night in town. And I'm just like, can I spend it with the people I love? Anyway, Nancy was like, I have to think about it. I don't know if I want to have Lisa for the night. So, you know, of course I told Lisa that. And a couple days later, the day before my last night in town, Lisa and I were at my dad's house and we were talking about it, which was also Nancy's house. Of course, we were both upset. Nancy was gone, but my dad was home and he overheard our conversation from the other room. And he came in to ask us what we were talking about. And I told him. You know, I told him what the situation was. He didn't ask any questions. We didn't talk about it. I didn't expand on it. I just said, you know, Nancy's not sure if she wants Lisa to come to the lake for my last night. But I guess when Nancy got home about an hour later, he brought it up to her and said she should just let Lisa come with us because it was my last night in town. Well, I didn't know that conversation had happened, but that evening, Nancy asked if I would take a walk with her. So we go outside and we start walking and she tells me very evenly, very matter of fact, that my dad had told her years ago that I was a very manipulative person and she hadn't really known what he meant, but now she did know what he meant. Then she explained to me that me talking to my dad about her hesitation to take Lisa with us was very manipulative and that I was a very manipulative person and I needed to change that about myself because it was a very bad trait to have. Then she said she had given it thought and decided to be generous this time and allow Lisa to come with us, but she wanted me to remember what she had said. So that's another, you know, prime example of how guilt was weaponized in my family. And I hope these examples clarify how when you're in that kind of dynamic, it's so easy to start feeling guilty for not always putting someone else's experience or feelings or view ahead of your own. That was always the underlying message. If you don't put me first, if you don't revere me and know what my needs are first and foremost, you're really fucking up and you should feel bad about that. Here's a more recent example. A few years ago, I went to spend my mom's birthday with her and her husband. Let's call him George. And one night we all went out to dinner. While we were at dinner, my mom asked me if I remembered the first time I met George, who she's been with for like 20 plus years. And I said, yes, when I was studying abroad in Spain, they took a trip to Paris at the same time that I was backpacking around Europe for the summer. And I met up with them at their hotel in Paris. And then I said, It was such a beautiful hotel and I'd been staying in these gross, cheap hostels. So I remember just being so thankful that you guys got me a hotel room in your hotel. The dinner went on. Everything seemed fine. And then we got home. I went into my room to call a friend and then I came out to say goodnight to my mom. And when I did, she was visibly pissed off. And she said in a furious tone, just so you know, George didn't pay for your hotel room. I paid for that hotel room, not him me, right? So (laughs) let's unpack that a little bit. That was a reference to me saying that I was so thankful that they had gotten me a hotel room in their hotel. As far as I knew, 
I was showing gratitude when I was recounting that story. I was saying that was such a nice thing that you did. But that wasn't enough because I wasn't being very specific about my mom being the one who paid for the room, which, of course, I didn't know that she had been the one who paid, first of all. And second of all, I don't know how she even remembered that because that meeting in Paris had happened 20 years beforehand. So this was like you didn't say thank you in the exact right way. And you also didn't remember something that I never told you that happened 20 years ago. Now, this experience coincided with me getting serious in therapy about my boundaries and about the fact that my experience matters and my feelings matter and how I'm being treated matters. So I left early the next morning after this incident with my mom and I wrote her an email afterwards and said, hey, that wasn't okay. It's not okay to yell at me about things, right? It's like, it's not the way you showed up wasn't okay. There was more that happened that night, including my mom coming into my room while I was sleeping to yell at me about not being specific enough and praising my mom for the pie she made. Anyway, I emailed her to tell her it's not okay to talk to me that way. And my mom said, I was absolutely right. I had every right to hold my boundary. Then she said that she needed to have a boundary with me as well, because I was very friendly with her husband, George. And that was clearly because he is financially well off. And I was obviously trying to use him for his money. Now, for someone who couldn't see through something like that, that would have been very confusing and very guilt inducing, right? If I had been 12, for example, that would have been, um, I would have soaked that in, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't have been nice to George because he's well off or whatever, you know, that was supposed to be, which by the way, you know, at that point I'd known George for 20 years. So it made very little sense for that accusation to be made for the first time so far into our relationship. But anyway, of course it wasn't based on anything. It wasn't based on um, logic or fact. It was a, it was a manipulation tactic and a diversion tactic to change the focus of the conversation away from my mom and her actions and instead make me the problem, which I think is also what was happening with Nancy, right? I think it's a similar um, move, strategy. So as you can see, there's another pattern in my family. Guilt is often weaponized when the people in my family don't want to be accountable for themselves. If you ask them to be accountable, they'll invent something for you to feel guilty about so that it distracts from their behavior. The last thing I'll talk about is a guilt piece that I'm experiencing now. So a couple years ago, right when I was really getting serious about therapy and about healing, my dad had a stroke. And ever since that stroke, his health has been consistently declining. As this was happening, I was coming to terms very plainly with my dad's abuse, right? I was in therapy. My therapist was like, this is real. This is, this is abuse. And I was seeing it for the first time without any of my make-believe rose-colored glasses. I was getting really honest with myself about what happened, about um, how he's shown up, and about how it's impacted me. Not long after his stroke, I went out to Austin, where he lives, and I asked if I could take him out to dinner. And when I picked him up, he yelled at me in the car when I suggested a restaurant. He told me I was a shitty driver. And then when we got back to his house and I helped him with some medical paperwork, he said, I always knew you would be a helpful child. 
which at one point in my life would have felt something like love, right? Like it's better than being yelled at for taking your dad out to dinner. But because of the healing I'd done, I realized, oh, right. With my dad, our relationship is transactional. If I help him, I'm good and I'm in his good graces, but I have to do exactly what he needs. I have to take him exactly where he wants. Everything has to be exactly on his terms, right? And I also have to pretend like everything's fine after he screams at me in the car. And then I have to leave quietly without him ever saying, I love you. Because it's not about him loving me. It's about me doing what he wants me to do, doing favors for him. The closest I'll get to love with my dad is you're a helpful child. Not that he hasn't said, I love you. I just don't think it meant anything really when he said it. And I just decided, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to sign up for abusive relationships anymore. And I'm not going to pretend that abuse isn't happening when it is. And so the last couple of times that I've been in Austin, I haven't reached out to my dad. Meanwhile, like I said, his health is worse and worse. He's had to be admitted to a rehab center because his health is so bad. He's had issues finding housing, right? Like things really aren't going well for him at all. And guilt has come up for me many times when I think about that because it's so second nature for me not to think about how I feel, not to think about how something impacts me and to instead prioritize someone else's experience. Up until the very last moment that I saw my dad, he was abusive. But for a part of me, it still feels like I'm abandoning him. Even though my dad, my dad has abandoned me in so many ways in my life, I still feel guilt when I think about not being there for him. I read something recently about the children of narcissists and about how the children of narcissists get so used to getting so little emotionally from their parents, getting these crumbs of emotional connection that when they get, you know, the smallest thing, it's easy for their parents to turn around and use that as a way to guilt them later. Or the child themselves grows up and thinks, oh, but there was that one time when they did that one thing. And it was so nice, which brings me to this. So recently, my dad, who's a musician, sent me videos of him playing happy birthday. And then at the end of the video, he said, happy belated birthday, Mija, which Mija in Spanish means my daughter. I mean, my dad has never in my life reached out to me on my birthday. My dad does not know when my birthday is. And he definitely sent those like a full month plus after my birthday. But when he sent them, my guilt really surged. I felt like, fuck, am I making a huge mistake by taking this step back and not reaching out to him? It was about three days later that I found out that he was going to have to go into a rehab facility for his health issues and that he was really needing someone to help take care of him and help, you know, take care of all his medical stuff. I know not everyone listening has parents who have narcissism, but I think a lot of us can relate to parents who are selfish or who can't take accountability or who can't put themselves before their kids in these different ways. And so I wanted to bring up this phenomenon that happened in that moment with my dad in those videos, because it's, I think it's common, right? So, so it's literally called breadcrumbing and it can absolutely be used to make us feel guilty in all kinds of relationships. Breadcrumbing is when someone gives you just enough to reel you back in. There's also um, a term called intermittent reinforcement, which actually I'm going to do an episode on that later. But 
essentially it's it's not enough to actually be love or to make you feel safe or seen or valued right but it is enough to make you feel like you're a dick <laughs> you're a dick for having boundaries you're a dick for not showing up right it's enough to question yourself about taking distance enough to think that maybe this time right maybe this is the time they'll come around and love you if you if you would just be open to it or that maybe you've been remembering the whole thing wrong right if this person is so abusive why did he just send me happy belated birthday videos right you must be a real asshole who got the whole thing wrong it makes those moments confusing because you don't know if they're genuine or if they're being used to manipulate you because if they're genuine it, it's really easy to feel guilty about them. Of course, everyone is going to make the choice that's right for them in those moments. For me, I've just decided to look at the big picture rather than zero in on these small moments. And if I feel guilty to just really have compassion for that guilt instead of beating myself up, because that's the other thing I can do is like, oh, you're such a pushover. You're so easily manipulated, right? Like I can get into that thinking too. Or, you know, also taking action around it, like rushing to take care of my dad, like, oh, fuck, I, it's too uncomfortable to feel this guilt. I just need to like, I need to buckle and, and get involved. Right. Which all of that brings me to the healing part of this conversation. What has healing my relationship to guilt looks like? Well, clearly I'm still working with this, right? This is normally I, I try to talk about things where I feel like I'm like really sturdy in them. This one, you know, I'm still working on it. And it's hard because I don't feel like demonizing my parents is helpful for me at all. But neither is making excuses for inexcusable behavior or being okay with abuse or with a lack of accountability. And I'll say like, like so many of us, I know that my parents have their childhoods, both they suffered greatly and I matter and my experience matters, right? So for me in specific, understanding how narcissism works, how borderline personality disorder works, how parentification works, what immature parenting looks like, right? Getting really clear on how those operate so I can identify them when they're happening. There's a great book called Stop Walking on Eggshells that's really good for, like it literally has a quiz. It's really good for identifying borderline personality and narcissism in loved ones. And it's also good for like telling you how, to, helping, not telling you, but helping you understand how to navigate those situations. And there's that also, there's also that great book, um, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents that I highly recommend, but getting some resources like that together, doing some research to help you understand how these people, like what their patterns are, right? Like what it looks like and understanding how guilt is used in these situations so that, so that you can start separating your actual conscience from that voice of manipulation or that narcissistic voice that guided you throughout your childhood or your relationship or whatever it was. Beyond that, and I sort of, reference this earlier, but the number one thing that's helped me has been getting really clear that I matter, which so, I think it sounds sort of nebulous to say that, but my experience with it wasn't, and I'll get into that. So here's the thing. If I feel bad about something, it's not hard at all for me to say, sorry, that's what guilt is for, right? Guilt is there to let you know you've crossed a boundary with yourself. It's like, Hey, 
You got a course correct, babe. You fucked up. When I feel that and I know I've fucked up, it's super easy for me to say, I'm so sorry, right? Like I messed this up. But of course, that's been easy for me because throughout my life, apologizing, even when there was nothing for me to apologize for, was part of how I got love. So the apologizing part has never been the hard part for me. The hard part has been knowing when I actually have something to apologize for and when I've been manipulated into feeling guilty and apologizing, even though I've done nothing wrong. And then, so, and I also want to say sometimes like manipulation requires intention, right? Someone is like intentionally trying to make you feel something. Sometimes people aren't manipulating you, but they're just not showing up in a healthy fucking way. You know what I mean? And they're wanting you to apologize when you don't have anything to apologize for. Sometimes it's it's just you're at an impasse. And even in those moments, I would still I would still apologize. So my therapist has worked really hard with me on the affirmation I matter. Which and this is what I mean about it being nebulous but it's not. I I've worked so hard on I matter, my feelings matter, my experience matters. I made those and some other, um, you know, similar affirmations into a meditation that I recorded onto my phone and I would listen to it every night for months. And after doing that over and over again, when I was confronted, like, for example, with that situation with my mom, I was like, no, not okay. My experience matters. My feelings matter. I don't feel guilty for very graciously thanking you both for that room that you got me 20 years ago when I didn't even know who paid for it, right? Like, no, as I've leaned into the fact that I matter and I've used that as a compass, it's really changed my life. And part of that is it's forced me to walk away from core relationships that I never thought I would walk walk away from, including, you know, with my mom, but I've also mentioned it several times on here. I had a very close friend for years who anytime I would tell her that she'd hurt my feelings or upset me or whatever, she would come up with a reason why I was wrong. And this is what I mean about like some people, they're not being manipulative. They're just like not in a place where they can be accountable. And one of those times, the way she did that was to tell me that I had unrealistic expectations, which I think is genuinely how she felt. I was asking her to show up with the same level of generosity that I was giving. And that was her response, that I was making her feel bad because I had unrealistic expectations. If that had happened just a couple of years before, I definitely would have felt guilty and apologized and tried to figure out what was wrong with me. But this time in the end, after a lot of, you know, other things between us too, I just realized, yeah, I have to let this friendship go because... I'm not willing to feel guilty for asking to have my needs met or asking for what makes me feel safe and happy in a relationship or asking to get back what I'm already giving her, right? In the end, there are a lot of people who, when you show up with needs, will have that sort of toxic response of, let me make you the problem. Let me make you feel guilty about that so that the attention is off of me. And I was such a candidate for those relationships for so long because I was just groomed for it. But getting clear on the fact that if my feelings are hurt, that matters. If I don't feel comfortable, that matters. If I'm pissed off because someone crossed my boundary or disrespected me, that matters. 
There's no situation, not a single one where my feelings don't matter. Zero. Getting really clear on that, whether it's through affirmations, which was part of what really helped for me or talk therapy or somatic therapy or whatever. That's how we can get back to a healthy relationship with guilt in my experience. Okay. Allison, how are you doing over there? I'm doing good. I, I want to just really acknowledge like all the work that you've done to really talk about this, to change and think about the things that you're doing differently to feel and show up how you want to show up and really take care of yourself. It's very courageous. And, you know, even just sharing it here on a podcast too, right? That's another level of courageous, but there's just so much good work that you've done. And the fact that you've reached out for help and really taking care of yourself is just, I'm just happy to hear it and to learn that you've really decided how you want to feel how you want to be in this world. And it's awesome. Thank you, Allison. That's really nice. Yeah, girl, it is rough out there, but we, we, we got to change, right? Like we have, we can't just keep doing the same shit over and over again and expecting our lives to be different. Right. So yeah. Okay. Well, let me, let me jump in here. I've named some examples from being raised around narcissism, but could you talk more about the different ways that guilt can be weaponized against children? Yeah. So similar to what you had shared, right, with the definition of guilt, um, guilt is not necessarily a harm, like a bad thing in of itself, because yeah, if something is um, done where we don't like it and we're voicing it to someone and someone feels bad, that's not necessarily by itself a bad thing. But when it becomes paired with shame, right, feeling distressed and it's repeatedly like being used against us to get something done. It, it over time can become harmful for anyone, especially children. Right. So, you know, I think when we think about when guilt is being used, a lot of times it is to kind of help potentially the other party feel better, right. The person Mm -hmm. imposing that guilt when it's done repeatedly, consistently trying to like get their needs met in some sort of way because then potentially right if if someone's telling us something that makes us feel bad and um we don't know how to deal with it we maybe want to deflect we could like be like well i don't i i don't want to absorb this this is not true they might feel anxious about it they might feel defensive and they cannot hold that emotion so then it's easy to kind of like bounce that back off to the other party sometimes Mm. right so then when that happens over time it, it really does get ingrained into the person being um, experiencing the guilt to think that that's like a part of their core, that I'm constantly wrong. I'm constantly like um, expressing feelings that are not true or noticing things that are not happening. And, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with me? Right. Then they can internalize it. And that is when it becomes a problem when it happens repeatedly. Oh my God. Yeah. That is such a great point. And actually that is something that is a phenomenon in uh, people who have narcissism and also people who have borderline personality disorder, this um, practice of projecting. So like whatever feeling they're experiencing, they want you to feel what they're feeling. So if they feel guilty because you're holding them accountable for something, for example, they don't want to feel guilty. So what they do is 
they want to project that feeling onto you. So they'll actually say something to you to make you feel guilty. So I think like the thing that happened with Nancy is a really good example. Um, Also the thing that happened with my mom, it's like, I don't, I don't want to hold this. And so, um, so I'm gonna, um, reject the feeling. I'm going to like turn it around so that actually now you're feeling guilty. So so what they want to do is like get you to match uh, what they feel at all times. So if they feel really shitty, they want you to feel that same. They want you to feel shitty in that same way, basically. But also um, I wanted, I wanted to bring this piece in because I think it's so interesting. And this was something I was thinking about, um, for kids who, cause I wasn't, my, my parents weren't religious, but a lot of my listeners have written in and been like, can you do an episode on the trauma of religion? And I think, which I do plan on doing by the way, y'all. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about guilt is like, man, religion is so like, so guilt ridden, right? Part of how religion works is like, you need to feel guilty, right? If you masturbate, if you, uh, I don't, I don't, I wasn't raised in a religious household, so I don't really know, but like, I know that obviously sex and religion, that's like a big guilt thing, all kinds of guilt. I know in Catholicism, it's just like, you were born a sinner. (laughs) You are a sinner. (laughs) I mean, and if you think about it, that's another manipulation tactic, right? It's a control tactic in that one. I love what you're what you're pointing out because I think that was definitely what I experienced was people who were like, I can't absorb any, I can't take on guilt because then I go into a shame spiral. So I have to deflect it back onto you, even though you're a fucking child. And I'm going to do that over and over and over again, not because I'm trying to hurt you per se, but because it's about me and not, and I'm not thinking about you. It's because I'm like not tuned into you and your experience. And so the child over time starts to internalize and it's like, there's something wrong with me in religion. I feel like it's about like, um, I have to figure out a way to control you so that you pay me money and so that you believe everything I say. And so I am going to tell you that you're really bad and that you need me uh, which is like, actually, when I think about it, that's like how narcissists also work, right? Like grandiose narcissists. You need me. You're fucked up. Pay pay me money. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that was just something that had occurred to me. And then also like you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned separately that you do a lot of work with the children of immigrant families. And I was thinking about like, I had, you know, growing up in LA, I had a lot of first generation friends and a lot of them would express guilt around like when I would say like, Oh, you know, I think one day I want to be a dancer or I want to grow up and write poetry. And they would say like, I'm not allowed to do any, like I have to become a doctor or I have to become a lawyer because my parents came here. They fought so hard to come here so that I would be, be something great for their family. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that, about like the guilt of being raised in an immigrant family. I know it's kind of an aside, but I like, it's not on the list that I sent you, but I'm so curious if you have thoughts about yeah. that. Yeah. So 
yeah, I do work with first and second generation. So first generation adults are um, anyone is anyone who came to the U.S. maybe after they were born. So you know, at any age. Um, second generation is when we have parents who um, parents caregivers who were born in another country. So yeah, what you said about some of the first gen who feels that guilt and obligation to kind of like have these specific jobs or finances and stuff to kind of support the family. It is because there's this history of sacrifice, right? That the caregivers, parents, ancestors have done to create this better life or in hopes that, you know, their children, the grandchildren would have a better life. That is very, you know, it, it's, it's generous. It's nice. It's, it's very loving, and it's also a lot of pressure, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So it's not intentionally where like family members might be like, you have to do this, you know, and never do anything else. And sometimes it is explicit. Sometimes it's not where the the children may also just inherently have that desire to want to give back to the, the parents. Sometimes it is more explicit. And sometimes it's also about knowledge, right? Like if people don't know of other professions and how they could also do well or be successful or be helpful to you know the family or to the community it's also um like just not something that people would be like you should become this because they don't know about it mm. so there is a lot of guilt and wanting to give back and gratitude too that kind of gets mixed in there right um and just a desire to want to help sometimes and especially when being newly immigrants and not having as much experience in in the opportunities in America, it is really hard to know more than like what you know. So a lot of times that guilt comes from just like wanting to repay the, the parents, the ancestors, and and it's not always um, beneficial for the individual either because then they show up with a lot of anxiety, a lot of like depression, because what if some things that they want to do don't line up with what, you know, their their parents know of or what's perceived as beneficial for your finances or for the family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Well, let me ask this. When we have parents who weaponize guilt, how does it impact our mental health as kids? And then what does it look like when we become adults? I gave my sort of version, but I'm curious, like what else, what, what, how else it can look? Yeah. So with children because they're not developmentally you know matured yet and even as adults it's very difficult to do but for children especially when the world is really revolving around them if we're constantly being told that you know like you're this you're bad you're you're causing these things like it is so easy to to absorb that and to really internalize that as a core belief of themselves because they also don't have access to other information, right? That They don't have a capability to kind of think bigger sometimes. So it really affects their core beliefs about themselves and how they view the world. Mm. And yeah, like some of the patterns of um, feeling like, well, then I need to do something to make up for it to kind of um, make sure that I, I don't feel this way or that they don't feel this way. And it's just a constant cycle of like, anxiety right mm. of like what do I do how do I it's just constant stress of trying to figure out how to resolve this thing and this uncomfortable feeling or make other people feel better and as children that can really affect you know just socializing how do we make friends then if we're constantly feeling on edge and not knowing how to act because we don't want to offend someone or feel bad right mm. and that could show up physically and for adults too where you might have like a lot of 
um, somatic symptoms, stomach ache, not feeling well, not eating, like it, it could really affect us physically, you know, and I think when we're really focused, if this is a reoccurring thing that we're feeling all the time too, right, it's kind of hard to also expand our attention to other things like hobbies, like having fun. Maybe we're so preoccupied with it that we actually don't end up like having a childhood or engaging in typical things that other children might engage in because we're so consumed by this feeling if, again, it's happening all the time. Yeah, and it just affects our self-esteem. It's so consuming for a child. Yeah, I think one thing that you're getting at is that, and I, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that like when you have guilt that's weaponized, it becomes shame, right? When you're when you're telling a child all the time, like, hey, when you have a difficult emotion, shame on you, right? you should feel guilty about it. For That was my experience, right? And it can happen. Like maybe it's like if you're giving a child tasks that they can't possibly complete, like you see in parentification or, um, you know, whatever it looks like the, the guilting over and over again, over time, like you said, becomes a core belief and it becomes shame. And when it becomes not like, Oh, I did something wrong. It turns into, Oh, I am wrong. Right. And then over time, I think it's like what you're talking about is that shame becomes anxiety. It becomes, self-esteem issue. It becomes an inability to socialize with others. Um, I'm trying, I like, I never really had a problem socializing, but one thing that you kind of touched on for a second was like the feeling of walking on eggshells around people all the time, like worried that you're about to do something. And like, that really resonates for me. Cause that's when I kind of came into the adult world, it was like, especially at work, I felt like any minute I was going to fuck something up. Like some, I, I, I just felt like I, all I do is make mistakes. I piss people off. I upset them. And that was not just because of my mom. It was also because of my dad, like both of them really struggled with rage. And so like setting a parent off was dangerous in my house and very easy to do because you never really knew what was going to set them off. So, yeah. So like that that guilt piece of like, yeah, if I, if I do something that's an expression of me, I'm in trouble. And that means that over time I learn I am bad. And then I take, I am bad into the world. And it's like, everything feels God, like I'll even say, I think that because in these situations, guilt turns into shame and the shame, like the shame piece is like, there's something really wrong with me. I, I would show up even in like, um, body image stuff. I think a lot of that turned into body image stuff. Like there's something really wrong with me physically, you know, like I thinking just about like trying to feel attractive and like trying to kind of keep up with beauty standards. I mean, it's, I know that goes way out into a whole other topic, but what I, I guess what I'm getting at is it starts small, but it's like this seed that's planted. That's like a cancer that just kind of starts growing in all of these different ways. Or anyway, that's kind of what I hear you saying is that like, it can show up in so many different ways. Yeah. Especially if we don't have other resources or people to really help us see a different perspective of like, oh, it's okay to feel guilty or it's mm -hmm. also okay to express your emotions right? Like it doesn't have to be that one specific way all the time, right? With this other experience that you're having, 
then, you know, like if we don't have those other experiences, it's going to be really hard to know that, again, that they exist and that it's also okay sometimes to, you know, express what you're feeling and or to mess up because we're all humans. We all make mistakes and no one's perfect. So guilt is normal, mm-hmm. but just not when it's purposely imposed on us all the time, just because someone else can't handle emotion or, you know, is purposely trying to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, let me ask this. Many of us have learned, like we talked about guilt is a good thing because it alerts us to when we're doing something that doesn't sit right with our conscience. But for those of us who grew up with problematic parents, as we've been talking about, guilt becomes weaponized. And then we we start healing and we learn boundaries as adults. And then guilt suddenly becomes very confusing, right? Like, how do we know when our guilt is healthy and when it's not? Yeah, so it's going to take a lot of reflection and practice, right? Because it's not going to be an easy task when, like you said, we, we've experienced it one way for so long. So I think first is just really having the space to reflect. And it may not always be in the moment either, because if it's happening right in the moment, our feelings are very strong, intense, and it may not allow us to have that space to think about it in the moment. So after the moment, it's totally fine too. And the more that we do it, hopefully we do it quicker. And then eventually we could even do it in the moment to kind of assess like, oh, is this a healthy guilt or like what's going on here, right? So that reflection is important. I think also being really aware of not falling into cognitive distortions, which is like a thought error of all or nothing, Mm -hmm. right? So going back to that shame piece, you know, just because I messed up this time, I'm not a bad person. I made a mistake at this point in time, or I felt this particular feeling at this point in time, right? It's not like I um, knocked over a glass of water and forever (laughs) I'm a terrible person and I'm never good. That's that's a distortion. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think really being mindful of that. And when we're feeling guilt, I think it's also important to notice how how else we're feeling. So it makes sense, right? For example, if I knocked over a glass of water at a new friend's house, I might have fear of like, oh my gosh, are they going to be my friend anymore? Are they going to hate me forever and never invite me over again? Is that an appropriate fear? Probably, right? And it shouldn't be too intense that it like impairs our day or impacts our day so much that we can't do anything else, hopefully. But if it's a similar thing happened with someone else and we're like feeling unsafe, we're feeling so fearful that we're like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? And it just like kind of numbs us, makes us freeze. Like it makes us really feel more unsafe than maybe we should have. Then maybe that's a sign to be like, oh, what's going on? When when you say um, if something similar happened before, you mean like, for example, if you were a child and that happened and mm-hmm. you got in trouble for it now you're having sort of this like flashback moment. Is that what you mean? If a similar situation happens where, yeah, you're, you're a young child that, that spills and your intense fear is that like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. Like that could be more concerning and not as healthy of a response as if I'm just worried this person is not going to be my friend anymore. It, let me make sure I'm understanding. So you're saying, let's say it happened to you as a kid and you got, and you were, made to feel really guilty about it instead of a parent doing what they should do, which is basically saying something like, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes. Look, all we have to do is clean it up. Right. Like if you were yelled at, which actually, yes, I have absolutely, I absolutely had experiences like that as a kid with my dad in particular and my mom too. But like, if I knocked something over, it was like you, like you were in trouble. Right. So if that happens, then 
as an adult, you might go into, you might, uh, maybe a healthy way would be like, or a healthy response would be like, oh yeah, that, that didn't feel good. And like, I hope that doesn't have a negative impact on this friendship or the other way is like, you're, you go into this intense, like, I can't think about anything else. I think I'm, I'm going to be rejected or I think, um, there's something really wrong with me. I can't make friends. Right. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, definitely. Right. Where like how, how intense is this fear that is so like inhibiting for us when really it shouldn't be to that scale appropriately. Right. Is Mm -hmm. the response appropriate? So we also want to make sure when we're feeling guilty, like, does this seem appropriate to the level of the situation that's happening? Right. So yeah, I think just kind of thinking about what level of appropriateness is is this fear, right? Is this does this make sense to the situation, right? Am I feeling so unsafe about spilling a cup of water that might, you know, cause much more distress than it should, right? Versus mm-hmm. just the immediate fear of is it going to dry? What are they going to think? That kind of response. Yeah, right. Because so this is someone something that someone recently brought up where I was like, oh well, that makes sense. It's she was like, yeah, it's called an emotional flashback where you an incident will happen. And even though the incident is like, let's say, you know, you dropped a bowl and it broke and it's like, not a big deal, whatever, we'll get a new bowl. But let's say you dropped a bowl when you were a kid and you got whipped with a belt or, you know, or you were told you were stupid or like, I remember one time with my dad, I really wanted to help him make dinner. And he didn't want me to. And I, and I was trying, I was like, please, can I help you? Cause I was just like really trying to connect with my dad. And he, he told me to open um, a bag of beans and it was one of those deals, you know, like I was six, it was really hard to open. I was pulling really hard and then I pulled too hard and the beans spilled all over the floor and my dad fucking lost his mind. And I felt really guilty. I had ruined dinner and I, you know, Uh, And so, yeah, if that happens as an adult, it's like I have an emotional flashback to that moment. So suddenly that moment means something more than what it means in my adult moment. Right. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. just like, oh, now we have to. Oh, we're just whatever. We'll get a new bowl. It means uh, at my core, I'm not lovable. Yeah, (laughs) There's something really wrong with me. Right. And so, yeah, we I think when we have these. guilt moments, we can kind of check in and be like, is this, is, is this appropriate to the situation? And if, and if it's not, we can be like, oh, there's something else really big happening. And it's this guilt, uh, flashback piece or, or something. Mm-hmm. So really staying present in that, that moment, right? Like, yeah. Is there something else that's, that's being reminded of the similar situation? Am I, um, feeling intense feelings because of this emotion, like this current situation or something else that's happened is one. And also really just being aware that like there could be some similar feelings, but the intensity is the intensity appropriate to the situation, right? Like I said, the fear of like my friend being mad at me, that's, that's fair. But is that fear so intense that like it's causing so much stress and and taking up so much space in your day, that's not really appropriate to like spilling a glass of water. Right. Right. And then let's say that we we're like, oh yeah, this is not the appropriate level. Then what do we do? So if it's not the appropriate level of 
guilt, then it's like kind of similar to what you shared, right? Like what's happening? Is this actually how I'm feeling about this specific situation or what else is kind of coming up for me? That's why the reflection piece is going to be so important that again, may not always happen in the moment, but it's going to take like some reflection to notice what this reminds me of, what else is coming up for me. And then kind of deciding like if we want to, you know, dive into it deeper are we able to kind of go into like what it actually is bringing up for me versus not really dealing with that at that time and, and deciding if this guilt is okay for, for the situation. And it may or may not be. And it depends on our headspace too, if we're willing to kind of go backwards. Yeah. So getting back in touch with that original wound mm-hmm. in, in whatever way that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if we d- decide not to kind of go back to that, like in depth or kind of figuring that out is also deciding, okay, like practicing that self-compassion, right? I responded in this way. I was really nervous. It could have brought up something. It could have not. And I don't really want to kind of go into it. Right. But in the future, this could be something else. I could, a different way that I could respond. Right. I might freak out and that's fine because I care about this person, but maybe I don't need to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Kind of having that reflection, deciding, how we want to act moving forward so that we don't also just hyper-focus on this one guilt feeling and then have that kind of spiral also. I like that about compassionately envisioning how we might respond if it happened in the future. Because I think when we can see, like part of it is, I know for me for a long time, I couldn't see any other way to show up. It was like, this was what I knew. So I really like the idea of having in your having like a vision in your mind of a different way. Like, okay, let's say I drop the bowl and I break a bowl at my friend's house. What if I offered to pay for it? And then, um, you know, let, let that be the resolution. And then however, if they're like, Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. If they're like, Oh no, honestly, don't worry about it. Okay, great. And like taking that at face value that I have remedied the situation appropriately. I've taken accountability, but I'm not taking on a shame message, like something like that. I love, I love the idea of like, okay, this is how I showed up this time, but this is what it would look like in my ideal world to show up again so that I have sort of a template to work with the next time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just having like a different outcome, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be like an extreme change either. It could just be like, you know, a 10%. Okay. I'm going to offer this, this thing and see how that goes. Right. That's it. It doesn't have to be such extreme changes either because too much all at once could also make us not do anything <laughs> different. Yeah. And it can also make us feel bad about ourselves too. Right. If we're like, well, I need to go a total 180 from where I am right now. Cause I suck. And I, it just feels like we, it feels so shaming. Cause it's like, Oh, I can't do that. Like I can't, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. So I might as well not even try But if it's like, okay, I can, this is something I might do is be like, okay, I'll offer to pay for it if it happens again and I'll go on with my night. And then when I get to my car, I will spiral out and cry and freak out and that's okay, right? Like I give myself the space to still be like a little fucking wounded because let's be honest, we're wounded. (laughs) And we're not just gonna like show up completely differently the next time. Yeah, yeah, so baby steps. Yeah, I love that. Okay, let me get to this last question. As adults... What does it look like to heal our relationship to guilt? Like what new behaviors or thoughts? I know we've just talked about like envisioning a different way, but what else can we focus on adopting? So I I think the all or nothing thought is something that I really hope um, people can consider and think about because 
it's so easy. Our brains want to kind of fall into this all or nothing and understand everything fully and have it be clear cut and, and kind of brush it off. Right. But yeah, everything is so much more than that. It's so complex where we could feel like five different emotions at one time, right? If I go into a job interview, I could feel anxious, I could feel excited, I could feel happy and nervous. It's not so easy to always have a clear cut answer. So an all or nothing thought might look something like, I knocked the bowl over, I'm a piece of shit and no one wants to be my friend, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so the more nuanced thought might be like, I made a mistake, I feel anxiety about it, but maybe it's okay. Yeah, and- I'm, yeah, I'm human, right? Going back to that self-compassion, everyone makes mistakes. And I made this one thing that I feel terrible about, but it also doesn't mean that everything I do is terrible, mm. right? There's So we also want to look at the positives too and look at the compassion piece of the fact that we just don't do everything right all the time. <laughs> you know, and I just want to jump in and say, I think what's so interesting about that is that, for example, with my parents or um, like with my friend who I was talking about who told me I was having unrealistic expectations. I think the reason those people show up that way is because they go into all or nothing thinking about themselves. Like they're doing that too. So that's like, I think it's a piece for all of us. For me, I would do that and then, and go into this like hyper apologetic mode. Like, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. I think other people kind of, they have the same experience, but they go the opposite direction. They go, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I couldn't possibly have done anything wrong. This is about you and you should feel guilty about it, right? But it's like coming from that same place of like, if if I've done something wrong, it must mean that I'm shitty and I can't, I can't allow that. Yeah, that's a good point, right? It's like happening on the flip side, but with the same concept. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, that, so that's one way. And everything else that we've talked about too, right? Self-compassion and looking at the facts and really reflecting again, if this is appropriate to the situation. Because when we have a, an all or nothing thought, like I'm a terrible person, then our brain is going to gather all the other times that we think we're a terrible human being and then prove that point, so to speak. <laughs> so when we stick to the facts, we want to stick to that specific situation and not pull in like all the other times that we've spilled water, for example. <laughs> and I think also really paying attention to how other people are responding to us and how we're feeling, right? Are we able to really express how we're feeling about this situation like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I broke, I broke this bowl. I dropped this water. Are you able to actually even say how you're feeling at all? And then how are they responding, right? Are they allowing you to um, kind of share that feeling and hear it? Or are they not even like listening to what you're saying at all? And I think being mindful of that so that we can understand if we've done our best to kind of share what we're feeling, what we're thinking, apologize and hold accountability for what we've done. And are they able to actually absorb that and hear it versus not hearing anything you say and then kind of going off tangent with something else? So for example, like, let's say I drop the bowl and I tell the host of the party or the house, whatever I say. Oh, I'm really sorry. I dropped that bowl. I feel really bad. Is there something I can do? And then that person turns around and either says, Oh yeah, don't worry about it or whatever. Or they say, honestly, like I just, you always drop bowls. And then maybe being able to differentiate, Oh, you getting all crazy about me dropping a bowl is about you. It's not about me. Is that what you mean? That. And also like, are they able to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so upset that this bowl is broken. Like my mom gave it to me. 
and they can like accept your apology right they, they don't have to be like oh my gosh it's totally okay like nothing's wrong they don't have to be like super pleased with it but are they able to hear that you're apologizing hear that you're acknowledging your mistake and acknowledging their own emotion but kind of trying to move on from it or are they trying to like dig you into like this this hole right of you're a terrible person so kind of noticing how they're responding to because they're also entitled to their reaction right but we also don't want to then feel again fall into that all or nothing of feeling like a terrible human being for making a mistake right yeah that's a really good point they might not they, they might not be like yeah i could just buy another ball they might be like that was a family heirloom that you just fucking threw on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but even in those moments too, it's like even hearing that scenario brings me so much anxiety because I'm be, i like, oh no, like I would feel so awful if I did that. But if I did that, yeah, that would be such an exercise in showing up differently around guilt and being like, I am so sorry. Is there any way I can remedy this or is there anything I can do to make it better? And then if there is doing it and if there's not being like, wow, this is a tough situation and I didn't and, and I didn't intend any harm and I totally get that harm happened anyway. And I and I'm so sorry. And I'm not a bad person. I just made a mistake. And it turns out that that mistake was kind of a big fucking deal. And you get to feel bummed about it. I get to feel weird about it, but I'm not a bad person. Yeah. That's, that's like advanced guilt level. <laughs> yeah. And it's not always going to be easy to do, especially in the moment when we're feeling the feelings. But like I said, so hopefully the reflection, even after the fact could be helpful or talking to a friend or a professional, anyone that you just trust and know that really has your back versus like someone you don't know how they're going to respond. <laughs> someone unpredictable. Yeah. Cool. Allison, this has been such a fun conversation. I mean, like, I feel like I, I actually have tools to work with going forward. I love the idea of envisioning a different way for next time. And I think I'm even gonna, I'm going to use that in a lot of different scenarios, not just with guilt, but also like, I don't know, like even rejection pieces or like whatever, if I have any kind of meltdown, like writing down how I would like it to look the next time so that I just have something kind of more solid to draw from. So like, yeah, I just feel like there've been so many tangible pieces to work with. So thank you so much for coming on. And if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me um, on AllisonLeeTherapy.com. And, you know, I'm also on Instagram with Allison Lee Therapy as well. Awesome. Cool. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's, R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, definitely hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's such a cool group of listeners. One of, one of them, so sweet, uh, was like, we need to make a name for ourselves. And then someone suggested Patramis. <laughs> <laughs> which just made me laugh. That's awesome. I know. So cute. Made me laugh. But anyway, it's a cool group. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. And speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And I read all of the reviews. It means so much to me. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can now. You can give a dollar a month, $5, et cetera. 
I pour myself into this podcast. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and moved to just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Patrama party and scroll down to the support button. You can also find the support option on Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye. The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.